Now we have to ask the question as we continue on thinking about Bart's doctrine of creation, what about Adam and Eve, every man uh, in the lower sphere of our time, which has fallen? Bart locates God's time for us in a transcendent time event of grace, as we've seen, but Bart locates Adam's time or our time in an eminent event of sin and rebellion. Dr. Cassidy's already pointed this out, but Bart denies the historical Adam as though he was created from the dust of the earth, endowed with original righteousness and under a covenant of works with God. Bart denies that teaching. Adam instead is a symbol of every man who inhabits fallen time. Every man who lacks all capacity for fellowship with God. Every man who exists in rebellion against God in history or our time or fallen time. Adam, as a symbol of every man, did not pass from a status integritatis, a state of integrity, to a status corruptionis, a state of corruption and fall. For Bart, as Dr. Cassidy noted so helpfully, there is no historical transition in history, in our time, from an estate of innocency to an estate of sin and misery. That kind of movement, in, I don't want to damage the integrity of his, um, of his chart, but a movement from innocency pre-fall, I'll just do it parenthetically in red, um, a, a movement pre-fall characterized by innocency to post-fall characterized by sin and misery. Westminster Confession 9-2, Westminster Confession 9-3. Bart says nine. No, no to that. Bart says all you have in history for Adam and every man is the estate of sin and misery. Now, the fall then does not mark a transition from man as originally righteous to now unrighteous. In fact, listen to what Bart says about history and man in it. Bart writes in 41551 of the Church Dogmatics, In the matter of human disobedience and depravity, there is no earlier in which man is not a transgressor and as such innocent. You see, there is no earlier estate of innocency. Bart's explicit about this. Second, he says, in um, CD 41, page 508, he says, Human history constantly reenacts that little scene in the Garden of Eden. There never was a golden age. There's no point in looking back to one. And here's the quote, listen. The first man in history was immediately the first sinner. And then he says, it is the Word of God, which forbids us to dream of any golden age in the past, any real progress within Adamic mankind in history, 
or any future state of historical perfection. CD 4511. Now, please catch this. I've, I've got to make this explicit. When he says Word of God, he does not mean biblical teaching. When he says Word of God, he means it is the Word of God, the actualized event of God reconciling and revealing Himself to the humanity of Jesus in Geshikta that forbids positing innocency in history. If there is a Christ event, if God is essentially gracious in His being to us in Jesus Christ in Geshikta, there can be no historical innocency in lower register history or our time. The first man must be the first sinner. Why? Because the Word of God, the event of Jesus Christ in Bart's thinking, forbids such a teaching. And so what Bart does, instead of this, if I had uh, a different uh, board up, I would have a fourfold estate. A state of innocency, a state of sin and misery, Westminster Confession 9.4, and a state of grace, Westminster 9.5, and a state of glory. That historical movement, that history of special revelation moving from innocency to sin and misery to grace and glory, Bart subverts that and then verticalizes two estates. Bart's actualized ontology, Bart's actualized Christ event says you have now I'm going to write over Dr. Cassidy's fine material. He says you have Christ and you have Adam. And these are the two and only two estates, if we can even speak that way. I'm doing it simply to communicate. Bart doesn't believe in an estate as historically defined. There is Christ. There is Adam. There is God's time for us. There is our fallen time. There is God's yes to us in Christ. There is our no to God in Adam, as Adam. But because Bart denies, please get, hear this, that Adam was created in original righteousness, he also denies the covenant of works. Now, Dr. Cassidy, I have to say this, in his 2022 Reform Forum Address on Bart and the Covenant of Works, gives the most penetrating work on the topic of which I'm aware in lecture form. And I want to turn you to that for a much fuller exposition than what I'm about to give you. I'm going to give you a thumbnail sketch of two high points. But Bart denies Adam was created in original righteousness, and he also denies the Covenant of Works. Why? First, God's being is essentially gracious and does not exist apart from the actualized humanity of Jesus in the covenant of grace. Once God actualizes divine and human being in the Christ event, He does so only in a covenant of grace. In fact, Bart would say this, God and man exist concretely only in that event of Jesus Christ. There's no true God other than that God. There's no true man other than that man. And if God is in his being essentially gracious, and man in our time is essentially sinful, the only way God can relate to man in a relation of reconciliation and revelation 
is in Jesus Christ, in the covenant of grace. The covenant of works posits a different God, a different man, and a different relation than what Bart teaches. It posits a self-contained God condescending as such to Adam. It posits a creature endowed with original righteousness and holiness. And it posits a relation while freely initiated by God, regulated by ex pacto justice. And so the God is different, the man is different, and the relation is different. It's three strikes you're out for Bart. The covenant of works. But second, Adam, a symbol for every man in calendar time, is essentially sinful. God is essentially gracious, has his being in Jesus Christ. Adam, in calendar time, all men in calendar time, are essentially sinful, thereby precluding the kind of relation envisioned in the covenant of works. Adam, as a symbol for every fallen man, cannot have fellowship with God, cannot obey God. And the covenant of works, promising life for perfect obedience, would be unintelligible for Bart, given his two estates. There's just no place in history for a covenant of works. There's just no place in Geshikta. For a covenant of works. So Bart denies at every point the God-man relation contemplated in the covenant of works and substitutes in its place his actualized theological ontology, which by his own admission is an anthropocentrism of a higher order. So Rather than understanding Adam as possessed with original righteousness in fellowship with God, Bart posits, this will be no surprise, Jesus Christ as the real man who exists from the beginning in a relation of exhaustive revelation and perfect reconciliation to God. Man's original perfection is not found before the fall in the Garden of Eden, but in Jesus Christ. As he directly and immediately participates in the temporal, gracious essence of God. But this is so important to appreciate. Just as Jesus participates in the essence of God, so Adam and Eve participate in Jesus Christ, according to Bart. God is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Adam and Eve participate in Jesus Christ, the event. Listen to this quote. This is from CD 31191. When man and woman begat to bear children by the divine permission and promise, male and female necessarily point beyond themselves in this activity. In realizing this sign, they participate in that to which they point. They participate in Jesus Christ and in his church. In the being of this man, listen, corresponding to his creation 
even before they know him, even before they believe in Jesus Christ, even before they are called to his church. Now, please hear this. Let me say this in a way. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hearing my, my beloved professor, Robert Shrimple, speak to me in 1995 in class saying, please read this. It's so simple. All you have to do is read it. Listen. Listen to what's, what Bart's saying. Adam and Eve participate in Jesus Christ. They participate, listen, in the being of this man, Jesus Christ, corresponding to his creation, Jesus Christ, before they know him, before they believe in him, before they are called to his church. Let me map it out the best I know how and remind you of Dr. Cassidy's tremendous discussion in his third lecture on Bart's soteriology, quote-unquote. Jesus Christ participates directly and immediately in the being of God in the transcendent time event of the covenant of grace. Adam and Eve participate indirectly in the being of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus Christ participates directly and immediately in the being of God, the temporalized being of God, in the transcendent time event of the covenant of grace. Adam and Eve participate in the being of this man, Jesus Christ. And they do it indirectly before they believe in him, before they know him, before they are called to his church. What is this? This is soteriological objectivism. They don't have to believe or know in order to participate. And this speaks directly to the issue of universalism in Barth's system. Now, I am not trying to contravene anything Dr. Cassidy said. I'm not the Barth scholar he is. And Bart did try to walk back some of his statements, but please listen to this. I'm going to repeat this and give you a few more quotes. They participate in the being of Jesus Christ before they know him, before they believe in him, before they're called to his church. Bart says this means, quote, this means that we are invited to infer from his human nature the character of our own, to know ourselves in him, but in him really to know ourselves. Do you hear that? We have human nature and know its character as we know ourselves in him. But the point is that we participate in him before we know him. It's ontological before it's epistemological. In fact, Bart himself said, the reality of creation is and can only be made known with clarity and certainty in the person of Jesus Christ. But where there is a genuine noetic connection, we can always count on the fact that it has an ontic basis. CD 3128. Jim Cassidy, in his wonderful work, God's Time for Us, observes the following, quote, Jesus Christ not only serves as the epistemological ground for understanding who humanity is, but is also the ontological determiner 
of humanity's being and nature. Jesus Christ, in other words, constitutes humanity as who he is. In this way, Jesus Christ has ontological significance for the nature of humanity. Christ is the pre-existent man who constitutes our humanity. Now, John Webster puts it this way. To be human, now listen to this. This is critical. And by the way, I, I want to add this just as an observation about John Webster and his relation to Bart and uh, contemporary Catholicism. To be human already is to be in grace, existing within the sphere of reconciliation to God by virtue of our inclusion in the scope of the history of Jesus Christ. Cassidy quotes that God for us, page 62. In this way, then, we can see how the ontology of creation centered on Jesus Christ, the real man who participates in the being of God, requires that true humanity be a participation in Jesus Christ. In place of our fourfold estate, the Adam-Christ construction of Reformed Orthodoxy, Bart begins with a Jesus-Adam construction in that order. And Robert Strimple, in his course on God's created image, observes this quotation from Bart. Who is to be included in the identification of Adam with Jesus Christ? The Christological equation has at the root an inclusive character so that it is an ecclesiastical and therefore even an anthropological equation. To be, end of quote, to be real man is to participate in Jesus Christ in his being as he participates in the being of God. Strimple says, Every man and woman, simply by being human, participates in Jesus Christ and is to be identified with Him. In Bart's theology, the event of God's grace in Jesus Christ is triumphant. And Strimple says this further. He says, Karl Barth's commentary on Romans 5 Beginning as it does at verse 12, the Adam-Christ analogy, the title of that book is very important. I suspect if you wrote it, you would have as your title, Adam and Christ, mirroring the order of 1 Corinthians 15.45. No, 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 says Bart. The title is Christ and Adam. Christ first and Adam. Christ as God's yes to man and man's yes to God. Adam as man's no to God. Christ the right hand, Adam on the left. Strimple says Christ the main side of the coin, Adam underneath. Christ shouted, Adam whispered. And in Bart's theology, I will not comment on what this means beyond this quotation, you find the triumph of grace in Jesus Christ, in the theology of Karl Barth.
Now, by way of a very brief contrast, and just to remind you and kind of come full circle here, I want you to see the contrast here between the deeper Protestant conception that I mapped out in the first two lectures and what we'll call Barth's deeper modernist dialectical conception. The deeper modernist conception of Barth is dialectical. That's what makes it deeper. It's not just ethical. It's dialectical. So when we say deeper modernist conception, it doesn't mean Barth is an unqualified, unreconfigured modernist. It means he's a modernist of a higher order, a dialectical one. First, the deeper Protestant conception affirms that God has living and immutable being apart from and in relation to his creation, that his being is not constituted by his act of relating to creation. Bart denies this. Bart teaches God's being is determined by his act of relating to creation. In fact, Bart never owned this implication, but for Bart, God's being is changed in and determined by his relation to the creature. Second, the deeper Protestant conception affirms that living in immutable Trinitarian persons indwell the heaven temple in the absolute beginning, in relations of indoxation and in coronation. Bart says that such a cosmology cannot be trusted. It is corrupt. It is not the concern of dogmatics. We must turn instead to the Word of God, to the actualized being of God and man in the transcendent time event of Jesus Christ. And third, the deeper Protestant conception affirms that the immutable triune God condescended to Adam to relate to him in a covenant of works regulated by ex pacto justice defined in terms of covenant stipulations. Bart denies that we can affirm such an abstract God, such an abstract man, and such an abstract relation. And that means for Bart, the covenant of grace cannot be Jesus fulfilling the terms of the covenant of works. For Bart, the covenant of grace simply is God's being actualized in Jesus Christ. It's not a second and last Adam fulfilling the legal obligations violated in the covenant of works. It is a primordial event of God being God in Christ and in no other way. So at every point, there's an unwavering doctrinal antithesis between the deeper Protestant conception of Voss, Ritterboss, Bavink, Klein, and Van Til on the one hand, and the deeper modernist dialectical conception of Karl Barth, Bruce McCormick, and Keith Johnson on the other hand. In addition to Van Til's new modernism and Christianity and Bardianism, Robert Strimple and Jim Cassidy have properly diagnosed this in their penetrating and incisive lectures and writings. All I have added, if anything, is the initial expression of a comprehensive systematic alternative to Barth's doctrine of creation that you find in the works of Voss, Bavink, Ritterboss, Klein. Now, let me talk briefly about two implications, if I could put it that way, two uh, observations that are additional to this. I haven't talked a lot about Van Til's critique of Barth. The main reason for that is Dr. Cassidy has provided a fantastic overview of Van Til's critique. But I simply want to note this, and I'm going to read a few things 
to help you see just how crystal clear Van Til was on this. I want to talk to you then briefly here about Van Til on Barth's correlativism in the Christ event. Van Til, more than any 20th century interpreter and critic of Bart, 20th century, penetrated along the lines that Dr. Cassidy and I have sketched. From one standpoint, the analysis I've offered is indebted to the seminal insights of Van Til, who was so far ahead of the curve in reading, understanding, and critiquing Bart. Let me, without commentary, give you some quotes from Christianity and Bartianism. And now, keep in mind everything Dr. Cassidy has said about Bart, everything I exposited about Bart, and the critiques we both leveraged. Quote Van Til. This is the um, introduction to his New Modernism. The freedom of God implies God's ability to become wholly the opposite of himself while yet remaining true to himself. All the attributes of God that indicate his otherness from man must accordingly be taken as correlatives of such attributes as indicate his identity with man. Thus, the orthodox doctrine of God's attributes as exhibiting the content of a holy self-contained God is set aside. It appears also that Employed in his, that Bart's principle of interpretation as employed in his later writings is virtually the same in his earlier writings. If a difference may be noted, it may be suggested that as time has gone on, Bart has become ever more activistic and even more anti-metaphysical. Second quote, Christianity and Bartianism, page 90. Listen to this. For Bart... Jesus Christ is both the ground of knowledge and of being for man. He is this as Geschichte. And by Geschichte, as earlier noted, Bart means, listen, the exhaustive act of interrelationship between God and man, end quote. That summarizes everything that I expounded in the Word of God, the covenant of grace, the absolute beginning that is Jesus Christ. Another quote, pages 13 and 14 of Christianity and Bartianism. For Bart, when we speak of Jesus Christ, we must at once speak of his works or his work as the mediator between God and man. If we spoke first of his person and then of his work, we should have begun be speaking of abstractions. Christ's person is identical with his work as Redeemer. So also if we spoke of his divine nature and then his human nature, we should again be speaking of abstractions. As we cannot speak of him, of God and himself apart from Christ, we cannot speak of a divine nature of Christ apart from the human nature of Christ. So also we cannot speak of man apart from Christ. We cannot speak of the human nature of Christ apart from its relation to the divine nature of Christ. How then... Can we speak truly, that is concretely, rather than abstractly about Christ? Listen now, we can do so only by speaking of Him as act. Abstract thinking is of static entities such as God in Himself and man in Himself. To think truly, that is concretely about God, is to think of Him as living and therefore acting for man in Christ. So also to think truly, that is concretely about Christ, is to think of Him as the act or work of saving man unto God. End quote. 
Another one. Page 23, Christianity and Bardianism. What then is the ground form of humanity? Our criterion for answering this question is the humanity of the man Jesus, Mart says. To say this is not to fall back on the idea of analogy of being. It is rather to speak of an analogy of relation. Now here's the, here's the golden quote. Listen. God subjecting of himself in Christ to the limitations of humanity and man's participation in the being of God take place in Christ as Geshikta. Isn't that incisive? That sums up the whole lecture that I gave in terms of Bart's doctrine of the Word of God, of the covenant of grace, of the event of Jesus Christ. Here's another one, page 24. In the existence of Jesus Christ, we deal with the common realization. You could add actualization. The common realization of divine and human being. End quote. Page 28 29. Believers participate in the being and work of Jesus Christ. And finally, all men stand in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No one can finally deny his election in Jesus Christ, for the truth is identical with the living Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, every man's election to participation in God's being is settled before the foundation of the world. This is the meaning of Ephesians 1.4 for Bart. End quote. And... The final quote, page 38 of Christianity and Bardianism. God's grace is sovereign or free. God's grace is inherently inclusive of all men. These two aspects of grace are based upon the fact that God is His work of salvation of all men in Christ. The sovereignty and freedom of grace rest on the fact that God's own being exists and is by virtue of His own decision. He cannot need His own being because He affirms in His being who He is. He is the sovereign God indeed. The sovereign freedom by which God chooses His own being is the basis of His sovereign or free choice of men to communion with Him. If God is free or sovereign in the choice of His own being, then he is certainly, and if possible, more definitely free in his choice of men and their salvation. If God chooses his own being freely, he certainly chooses the overflow of his being or essence freely. These quotes, I trust, show quite clearly, and there are more. Dr. Cassidy has given us more, and there are more that can be mined show quite clearly that Van Til perceived with unparalleled insight in the 20th century the problem with Barth's actualized doctrine of God, the mutualized relation between God and man in Jesus Christ, and the universalism inherent in Barth's conception of grace. If you want more, listen to Robert Strimple's lectures on Barth from God's created image. Listen to Dr. Cassidy's first three lectures in this module, and read Dr. Cassidy's God's Time for Us. But this leads, these insights, lead to 
a concluding observation I want to make about Van Til on Bart and post-Vatican II Catholicism. Van Til, in a neglected work entitled The Confession of 1967, its theological background and ecumenical significance, argues that there is a deep theological unity between Bart and post-Vatican II Catholicism exhibited in the work of the likes of Karl Rahner and Hans Kuhn. As much as Bart might have protested traditional Catholicism, Tridentine Catholicism, traditional Thomism, calling the Analogia Entis the invention of the Antichrist, by the end of his life he changed his mind. Under the influence of Hans Urs von Balthasar, Bart began to see striking similarities, deep theological continuities between his own theology and the theology of transcendental Thomism. Such similarities rested at least in the inherently graced character of humanity and the intrinsically universal character of that grace in Jesus Christ. Both Bart and post-Vatican II Catholicism shared a theological commitment to humanity's graced participation in the ontological self-communication of God in Jesus Christ. That is the point of convergence. And if you don't uh, object too much, let me read you a section from 118 to 120. I'll read selected quotes from Van Til in the Confession of 67. I made the case in a previous module that the great debate today is the most neglected. This is either tied with it or just under it. But listen, it's quite extraordinarily insightful. So for Karl Barth, the free, this Ventil now. So for Karl Barth, the freedom of God, the freedom of man to become a participant in the freedom of God controls all of his thinking. We've seen that's true. What then is Protestantism? Please hear the new definition of Protestantism under the influence of Barth and the new definition of Catholicism under the influence of Rahner and others at Vatican II. Listen, what then is Protestantism? What is the heritage of the Reformation? It must be identified with the theology. It must not be identified with the theology of the Reformers. Protestantism is a movement in history. Protestantism, like every movement in history, can be understood only in terms of the whole of its development. The principle of Protestantism is therefore not anti-Catholic. Sure, the Reformers were anti-Catholic. Protestantism's not. Moving on to the quote. There is, to be sure, an outer, but there is an inner history of Protestantism. According to its inner history, Protestantism appears to be the sharing of a perspective. This sharing of perspectives is a sharing in a common memory of crucial events in the life of the community. Do you see how the ecumenical idea thus blossoms forth from the principle of Protestantism? The Protestant principle implies the rejection of every claim to absoluteness. The Protestant principle, according to Barth, therefore recognizes that there is, as between Protestants and Catholics, a common loyalty to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what then, you ask, about Karl Barth? 
Has he not spoken of the Roman Catholic Church as representing the spirit of Antichrist? Is it not he who has actualized the incarnation? Did not Bart's negative judgment on Roman Catholicism spring from his very actualization of the incarnation? Yes, indeed. But all this has changed. It was Hans Urs von Balthasar who, more than anyone else, has helped Bart to see that Roman Catholicism also begins its theology by the Christ event. Roman Catholicism, says von Balthasar, does not believe in direct revelation any more than does Bart. To be sure, Rome does speak of faith and works, of nature, grace, of reason and revelation, but this and is not, as Bart thinks, fatal to the idea of the primacy of Christ and of faith in Christ. The whole discussion between Bart and the Roman Catholic position may therefore start from the idea that Revelation is revelation in hiddenness. The difference between Bart and Roman Catholicism will therefore be not of principle, but of degree. Bart wants to be Christological in his approach to all questions of theology. It is well, so do we. Bart wants to actualize the incarnation. It is well, so do we. But Christ has become one of us. Thus, human nature must at least be presupposed as a possibility. Unless we have a general presupposition of the possibility of the incarnation in the idea of the humanum, then either Christ is the only man or he is no real man. If Bart will only realize the significance of what von Balthasar has said, then it appears they have at bottom been friends all along. It appears that they have their common enemies in the Reformers, Luther as well as Calvin, who have failed to presuppose the humanum when they speak of sola scriptura, solus Christus, and sola fide. For the Reformers to magnify grace is to make a stock and stone of man. If the Reformers had really been concerned to maintain the sovereignty and universality of grace, says von Balthasar, they might have remained within the church. Now that the separation has taken place, there will be many obstacles to reunion. But on the fundamental questions of creation, incarnation, and salvation, argues von Balthasar, the difference between Bart's theology and his own are not such as to warrant separate existence. And then he says, Further, uh, in Christianity and Bartonism, Kung and Bart both build grace into the very being of man. When Bart says that the original relation of every man is to Christ rather than to Adam, he is in effect doing what Kung does when he insists that all men, even in their sin, have their being in Christ. Neither Kung nor Bart has any room for Adam, the first man, as being confronted at the beginning of history with the known will of God and deliberately disobeying it. Christianity and Bardianism 383, in light of the Confession of, of, 16, of uh, 1967, 118 through 120. Now to turn you to a recent scholar whose observations parallel 
Ventils. I want you to be aware of Camden Busey's penetrating treatment of Carl Rahner in a book by the same title. Without doing a full exposition of the work of Carl Rahner and turning you to the wonderful work Dr. Busey has given us in that volume, I want to make this final concluding observation. In Rahner's theology, the donum increatum, the supernaturally intrinsic capacity inherent in the creature to receive the gift of God's ontological self-communication in grace, that gift is eschatologically actualized in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It therefore situates true humanity in an intrinsically graced relation to God in Jesus Christ. As Busey notes, the donum increatum, the gift of God's self-communication to creatures, is actualized in the incarnation. Rahner's proposal of Jesus Christ, in whom the gracious donum increatum is actualized in his acceptance of God's self-communication, stands so close to real man Jesus participating in the actualized time event of reconciliation between God and man in the covenant of grace. Whatever their differences, and there are differences that need to be explored, Rahner and Barth's notions of humanity's graced participation in God's ontological self-communication in Jesus Christ is striking and warrants much more reflection. Finally, and to come back to the deeper Protestant conception, both the transcendental Thomas and Bart reject entirely the deeper Protestant conception of religion envisioned in the image of God and the covenant of works and the way that both are brought to fulfillment in Jesus Christ as a second and last Adam. Neither the transcendental Thomas nor the Bardians will allow, A, for Adam to be created in natural religious fellowship with God as the image of God, for B, Adam's advancement of his state in ex pacto obedience to the covenant of works, meritorious according to those terms, or C, the perfection and consummation in Christ of those joined to Him by the Spirit and through faith in the covenant of grace. They will not allow the restoration and consummation of what was lost under the covenant of works to be fulfilled in the covenant of grace. But the deeper Catholic conception and the deeper modernist conception deny this and replace it with a different view of the creator-creature relation. Note it well. Recent Roman Catholic theology and Bardian theology stand with one another in a strident opposition to confessional Reformed theology. It is time to proclaim, defend, and extend confessionally Reformed Trinitarianism and Federalism against all forms of medieval and modern species of correlativism, front door or back door, whether Roman Catholic or Protestant, whether sacerdotal or actualistic. As Van Til said, the idea of identifying man's being with his participation in the act of God saving him 
is really only the modern equivalent of the Greek notion of identifying man with his participation in the changeless being of God. Semper Reformanda.